Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, thank you for joining us on the Mortification of Spin. Uh, today, it is our good pleasure to have with us a friend, Dr. Timothy Whitmer, or as we know him, Tim, is with us. Tim is the uh, professor of practical theology at uh, Westminster Theological Seminary. He is also author of some really helpful books, The Shepherd Leader and The Shepherd Leader at Home. And if that's not enough, he is also pastor at St. Stephen Reformed Church in New Holland, which is in Lancaster County here in the Philadelphia area greater Philadelphia metropolitan area. He also has a website. It's called realdonaldtrump.org. No, just kidding. Ha, ha, ha. It is, it is the shepherdleader.org. And so, uh, Tim, you've got all kinds of things to explain. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, clearly, the church is keeping you busy, but uh, there's a lot of things that we would love to talk to Tim about. Of course, Anytime we have a colleague of Carl Truman, we have condolences to express. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, we yeah. feel your pain. We just thank feel you. bad for you and also admire the fact that you have stuck it out so long with him. But, uh, Tim, it's great to have you here. Um, lots of things we can talk with you about from preaching to pastoring to this wonderful kind of new chapter in your life of mm-hmm. uh, of, of St. Stephen's Reformed Church. So we'll, we'll try to hit on uh, various things there. But uh, Carl and Amy. Where do we want to take uh, in this particular journey? Where where do we want to take uh, Tim first? Where, where do we want to walk with him? On yes, this journey yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Well, I have a journey story with Tim. Okay, mm. good. Yeah. So I first met you two years ago at the first Westminster um, Preachers Conference, and I was a little intimidated to come here as a housewife theologian and to mm. be on the panel. And and when we were asked to do it, I remember telling the guys, you know. Um, you're pastors, I'm not. I'll be fine to sit this You're one out. You're brilliant, I'm not. Mm-hmm. That's that not exactly mm-hmm. what I said at all. Yeah. But um, when I came here, it was my first experience at Westminster as well, and you were just so kind to me. Mm. And I met you on Tuesday evening, but then Wednesday morning when we were coming in for our recordings and we were actually going to do our panel, it was pouring down rain. And I park the car, and Tim gets out of his car and has this big shepherding umbrella. (laughs) (laughs) And he asks, you know, go get under my umbrella, I'll walk you in. And I just thought, now that's a professor of practical theology. That's practical theology. The age of chivalry is not dead. Well, can you imagine, can you imagine one of these days when Tim Whitmer steps aside from Westminster Theological Seminary, the nicest person they're going to have around here is Carl Truman. Oh, oh, man. Man. There's, there's better people still. <laughs> <laughs> I am universally loved and admired on this campus but, and around the world. Yeah, you know, you mentioned my uh, relationship with Carl. What you don't understand is that his office is two doors down from mine, and I hear him whistling all the he time. He is a whistler. <laughs> I know. Like, wow, I always know when Carl's around. Uh-huh. And my dad is a whistler, which I know it makes him feel really good to be compared to my dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they put Tim and I as far away from civilization. <laughs> That's right. Right down in the bowels of the air. In the radon zone. With Kent Hughes <laughs> in the radon zone. zone. Yeah. They're, they're oh, trying no. to get rid of us. Well, that well, explains some things. Well, Tim, I would love for our folks to hear just a little bit about the story of St. Stephen Reformed mm-hmm. Church, because it is a terrific yeah. story mm-hmm. and uh, one that is ongoing. So tell tell us a little bit about how it came to be. 
Well, it was a big surprise to me <laughs> because I was going to, I just retired from my work at Crossroads Community Church in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, where I had served for 27 years. Mm-hmm. I was going to devote my attention here to Westminster, and two weeks after I retired from Crossroads Church, my wife and I ran into her cousin at the local grocery store, and they were talking about family things, and then her cousin said, well, I'm the president of the consistory of this church in town. And we don't have a pastor. I'm responsible to get supply preachers. And she looked at me and said, oh, you're a preacher, aren't you? <laughs> I said, yes. She said, would you help us out? I said, okay. I began to preach there, and it was a United uh, Church of Christ congregation. And shortly thereafter, I met with their leadership, and they wanted me to, be con- to consider being their part-time pastor. And I said, what does that mean? They said, well, it's all the preaching, all the teaching, all the marrying, all the burying, all the visiting, all the baptizing. <laughs> I said, I said that's not part-time. They said, we understand. <laughs> I said, anyway, you need to talk about principles and uh, not particulars. And I challenged them in their relationship to the UCC. And two months later, the congregation voted 54 to 2 to leave the UCC. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I went back in and said, okay, now I'm willing to be considered to be your part-time pastor. But I want you to consider moving to a biblically-based denomination, and I suggested the PCA to mm-hmm. them because their particular strain of uh, heritage in the UCC goes back to the German Reformed Church. Mm. And so they were people who were reared in the Heidelberg Catechism, historically anyway. And so first cousins were the Westminster Standards, and I argued that point. And long story short is that after several months of conversations with the consistory and interactions with the congregation, they voted to call me as part-time pastor and to move to the PCA. Mm. So it's been great, and since that time, the church is is growing. Uh, We're seeing new people all the time. We're seeing people come to Christ. And what we're really hoping is, this is my prayer, and I hope your listeners will join us in this prayer. We're hoping that our church will become a model or template for other UCC congregations that are struggling that have this um, German reform background, and we're hoping we might be able to help others revitalize. Yeah. Did you lose anybody in the move, Tim? It's a a big break to go from one denomination to another, not just theologically, but in terms of culture and tradition and and identity. We did. Uh, We did lose some folks. There were some, as you know, in the UCC, there are some very liberal positions Mm -hmm. that the denomination holds, and... They did their homework looking into where the PCA stands, for example, on such issues as as marriage and sexuality. And so there were some folks who made it clear to me and clear to the leadership that if the church voted to call me and to come to the PCA, that they would leave the church. And uh, I tried to meet with those folks personally and try to make the case. But in some cases, when the vote <laughs> when the vote occurred, they they left. But one of the fun moments was last spring, I guess it was, one of the older members of the congregation who's very active, she she looked at me one Sunday morning and she said, hmm, more people are coming here because of you than left here because of you. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, man, that's 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 great praise, you know. (laughs) One of the things when you spent some time with our our deacons and our elders at, Mm -hmm. at the church I serve in just a couple of years ago and you were telling us about this because it was just kind of mm-hmm. in the works at the time. And I remember just being dumbstruck by 
what a radical change it is to go from the UCC, one of the fastest declining and most mm-hmm. liberal denominations in the country, um, to come into a confessional uh, mm-hmm. Presbyterian denomination. What a what an odd, strange, challenging, wonderful thing mm-hmm. that 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 could be. And it's been fun just watching through some social media stuff from you, watching mm-hmm. how the transition has been thus far a blessed time. But I I would hope and I would pray that there might be some others out there who looking around at the wreckage of their church mm-hmm. um, might consider such a, such a change. Yeah. And we we're all, we're very grateful because already we've been contacted by some UCC churches. Mm-hmm. You have. That's great. Yes. That's great. So we're hoping that we'll get some progress there. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering, I mean, so you said that you had retired from the ministry, right. you were, <laughs> you know, going to invest full time into the seminary, and and now here we are, just a couple years later, and now you're you know retiring from the seminary, <laughs> and um, going you know full force into the ministry again. You know when you were first, I mean obviously this was a providential thing, but when you were first asked to go in and preach, um, as you were preaching in there, did you just feel this this connection to this congregation? Did your heart go out for them? Like what um, changed your heart so much? Clearly, it was the Holy Spirit, but mm-hmm. what, what did that look like? Because I mean, was there some dread <laughs> when they asked you to step mm-hmm. in as the quote-unquote part-time pastor? You know, that's a really great question because when I left Crossroads, I was going to be here full-time. I remember walking down the stairwell to my office, and I said out loud to God, "But I'm a pastor." Mm-hmm. So I knew, uh, I knew something was going. I didn't yeah. know what. That's before I had any interaction with with the folks at Saint Stephen. And Saint Stephen Church is actually in the town in which my wife and I grew up. Hmm. And we wondered if the adage a "prophet is not without honor except in his hometown" was going to be true. Right. And as it turns out, it was a real benefit because in in that kind of a culture, it's really beneficial to be from yeah. there. And so they would say, they would come up to me and say, oh, I had your mother for fifth grade teacher. And they'd come up to my wife and said, you sang so beautifully in the high school musicals <laughs> and, and those kinds of things. So there was a some uh, common ground to stand on. Unfortunately, it has worked to, to our advantage. And so I was, from the very first Sunday that I was preaching there, in my mind's eye and in my heart, I really was hoping that, God would use us to help yeah. turn the church around. Wow. Have, have you experienced now with the transition of the church to a, to a more conservative confessional denomination, mm-hmm. have you experienced pushback from maybe individuals or groups who used to be able to maybe count on support mm-hmm. from that church? And now that's that relationship has changed. Has, is there any of that dynamic? You know, uh, the good news there is that the church was so, bad off financially that they had pretty much given up any any support that yeah. they had given to yeah. to anybody yeah yeah uh, in fact when we were in our last conversations about coming into the pca the consistory said to me well we wish it was just not just you and not the pca <laughs> i said well i'm sorry we're a package deal <laughs> and then they made the point they said well you know these families are going to leave yeah and and they are big givers yeah and i yeah. said I never worry about money. Mm-hmm. God always blesses his word. Yeah. And now the church 
is in the kind of a financial position that it has not been in mm. for years, which for which I give God great yeah. thanks and praise. Yeah, that's great. When do you think uh, you reach a point where a church needs to separate from its denomination, Tim? That's a tough question, and maybe there isn't a one-size-fits-all answer. But if I were, let's say I'm in a church that's in a, a mixed denomination with a lot of bad theological and ethical stuff going mm-hmm. on, at what point do you reach that moment when you say we need to leave? Obviously, mm-hmm. one wants to take seriously the biblical mandates for church unity, mm-hmm. and that does have a visible you know, We can't spiritualize mm-hmm. those away. Mm-hmm. But at, at what point do you say, no, the, the, the mandate for doctrinal purity mm-hmm. overrides the mandate for church unity? Mm-hmm. Well, I think what has been unique in a situation in which I'm serving is that the people there have had a real hunger for the word and a real thirst for God's truth. And I don't consider myself a great preacher, but there's no doubt to anyone who comes that it's the scriptures that they're going to hear. And so, interestingly, some of the folks who've been coming have been coming from liberal churches. And the conversation I have with them is that they get to the point where they realize that not only is their church, their individual congregation suffering under this, but then they get the bigger picture and they see, no, this denomination has left the word of God, not in, in uh, areas that are tangential, but in fundamental areas. Uh, for example, in, in areas like uh, the deity of Christ and the exclusivity of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And, of course, all that is the, the fruit of the failure to respect the place of God's word. And once that's done, it's, it's over. But people are, people are loyal, people are faithful because they've been in these churches all their lives. And uh, I understand that to a certain extent, but there comes a time when your conscience just will not allow you to continue. Like what's your unity in? I mean, it's yeah. superficial yeah. then if it's yeah. on social Ex- issues. Exactly. Well, I think the real lesson here is for men, and that is to go to the grocery store, men. <laughs> yeah. Go to the, the grocery Lord store. You, the well, Lord might call you. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> what is a grocery store? <laughs> exactly. I was looking like a at washing you, Carl. Machine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, really. I mean, did you think of... The work that was ahead of you, though, in convincing these people. I mean, I know, again, it's the Holy Spirit who's changing hearts and, and, and having them recognize the truth. But um, as somebody who was retired from the mm-hmm. ministry, mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and for your wife as well, I, you know, the, mm. the friction that it was I'm, going to involve. I'm glad you brought that up because one of the first consistory meetings we went to, I took my wife to those meetings because I wanted her eyes yeah. and That's ears good, to yeah. be involved in this mm-hmm. because I knew this was huge. And we came home from that consistory meeting, which actually had some pretty challenging moments in it because we were talking about the distinctives of the PCA and some people were unhappy. We got home and my wife, we, we sat down and, and Barb said, you're not going to that church. Mm. Mm. I said, why? She said, I'm not up for the battle. Yeah. And she was talking yes. about the spiritual battle yeah, sure, that was there's coming. there's a battle, yeah. And so I wrote to the president of the consistory. They had asked me some questions, and I answered the questions. And I said, 
you know, I really think you need to consider someone else because I think the church needs to determine where it is headed before they decide who is going to lead it. And the president of the consistory insisted that we meet. And so we spent all morning, a couple of days later, Barb was there and we talked and we prayed and and, uh, we agreed that if God keeps opening the doors that we would walk through. Because at any point on this road, the whole thing could have collapsed. Right. Mm. Yeah. But God just kept opening the doors. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that is exciting. But. Yeah. But I definitely wanted Barb to be in on it just for the reason you said, yeah. because it's both of us and it's That's good advice very consuming. To give, mm-hmm. Tim, you've written a book, uh, The Shepherd Leader at Home, and, and what you've just said you know, has brought to my mind. This is such an important thing for pastors to consider. How do you counsel younger pastors or men heading into the ministry regarding the role that their wife has as a counselor to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what do you, what do you say to them on how to listen to their wife and uh, being that the Lord has mm-hmm. given her uh, to him as this help meet, what does that look like for a pastor to, to, uh, to listen well to this one that the Lord is? Yeah, that's so, so important because our wives are our first priority. Mm-hmm. And if, we're not ministering to our wives and growing on our knowledge of our wives and communicating with our wives. We are absolutely sunk. I, I tell the guys in the class, basically, if you don't listen to your wife and talk to your wife, you're out of your mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, one time I was teaching on this subject in one of my classes and I had a student raise his hand and say, Oh, Dr. Whitmer, I'm supposed to get married next week. And the honeymoon is coming, but my church asked me to provide music on a retreat when my honeymoon is scheduled. I said, uh, what should I do? <laughs> what should I do? <laughs> uh, I walked from the front of the classroom. Yeah. I stood right beside him, and I said, if you cancel your honeymoon or reschedule your honeymoon and do this retreat, your wife will never forget it. Yeah. On the other hand, if you say no to this church and go on your honeymoon, your wife will never forget it. And just at that moment, there was a female student in the class, and she started to cry. Hmm. I said, what's wrong? And she said, I'm married to a pastor, and we struggle with this all the time. It was one of those moments you can't produce or create in a classroom. Mm -hmm. It just has resonated. It wasn't part of your agenda for the day. No, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, absolutely crucial. These these kinds of important decisions have to be made by consensus. So, mm-hmm. ask the question: What if my wife wouldn't have changed her mind about Saint Stephen? Well, it'd be very unlikely that I would have right. pressed ahead, knowing that it was potentially damaging mm-hmm. to my marriage. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but God had a different plan. Well, and including yeah. her in the meetings, you gave her the information mm-hmm. that she needed and the experience that she needed to really help counsel you well right. and, and for you guys to talk together instead of you just coming home and right. saying, I really think I should do this and her not having the mm-hmm. And we, we just love, we just it. love working together in ministry. Mm-hmm. She is such uh, an amazing asset and she has wisdom coming home from those meetings, things that she would say that, that I just wouldn't have picked up. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite memory of your wife, Barbara, is that night we went out to the uh, the drafting room. Oh, yeah. And they had karaoke. Oh, right. And Tim's wife is 
professional standard singer, yeah. mm. but had never done karaoke before. So we told the person <laughs> in the karaoke, but lady had never done it before. Uh, could, she, could she sing? And the guy gives that little speech about, you know, be really kind to her. This lady's never done it before. <laughs> yeah. She'd sung at Eagles games or right, Phillies games, right. I think, with the national anthem and stood up and just blew everybody away. Mm. Was, uh, that would have been fun. That yeah, would. That That's she been an asset in the church awesome. too. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. Tim, uh, changing tack just slightly. Yeah, we live in an era now when people can download sermons from all over the internet and mm. can, can get hold of the best of the best at the touch of a button. A few years ago, I remember in a, in a class asking, just going around the class and asking which pastor had most influenced the students. And I was shocked mm. by the fact that nobody mentioned their actual pastor. They yeah. all spoke about guys on the internet. Right. Oh, John wow. Piper or Tim Keller, and absolutely not a criticism of those guys, right. but the, the students had listened to them and been influenced by them and not by their local pastor. Mm-hmm. What encouragement can you give to the local guy who, with the best will in the world, is never going to preach like a John Piper or mm-hmm. a Tim Keller, but is to be a faithful pastor? How can he handle that kind of culture? Mm-hmm. How can he, I would say make a name for himself, that's the wrong word, but how can he be the pastor of his congregation, mm-hmm. particularly among younger people who are perhaps right. tempted to listen to the, the top guys all the time? Mm. Well, I think, I think the key word that you use is the word pastor, because what anyone online cannot give is pastoral care. Mm. And I continually try to communicate to our students that it's not really a good sermon until it's preached in the context of an effective pastoral shepherding ministry. Mm. And then you can, to be honest with you, if your people know that you care for them and know that you love them, they really want to hear what you have to say. Even if it's not, it's not going to be Keller-esque or or Truman-esque. (laughs) <laughs> but <laughs> oh, uh, well played. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. you. At, least yes. there was, at least there's one person in this room who respects. <laughs> I was told to make fun of you on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but I think that's that's really the key, mm. and people understand that very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That there's a difference, but that pastoral care, that personal touch is that makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, do you find in the seminary that that is kind of a struggle, maybe a challenge, or this ambition to be the next Tim Keller, or you know, an expectation, maybe big eyes. I don't know for the the young students. That's, you know, that's really hard to say. It seems to me, as as I've seen the recent classes of MDiv students coming through, you don't get that impression anyway. You get the impression of of students who are quite aware of their own inabilities mm-hmm. and quite insecure. Mm. And so they're eager to learn. And for the most part, they're very teachable. Mm. I'm sure there are, there are some who, who uh, uh, have high aspirations in that direction, but we try to knock them down a peg or two here to <laughs> bring them back to reality, stand them up in front of a bunch of people and make them preach. And then talk about it. That's right. Absolutely. Well, um, so after I met you and found that, you know, your practical umbrella holding really <laughs> connected well to your job title, I immediately went home and, and bought your new book at the time, Mindscape. Mm. And it was a pleasure to read. And um, yeah, I was just wondering what led you to, to write a book about that, like how our faith and knowledge of mm-hmm. God affect our, our private thought life. Um, it was really helpful for me to, to read through well, thanks, it. Thanks, so Amy. Funny. The... Um it's actually the third book that I wrote, but it's the first one I wanted to write. Oh, wow. And, um, but the kind of the pressures and the compulsion of the things around me that I saw led me to write the Shepherd Leader 
And then the natural sequel to that was A Shepherd Leader at Home. But Mindscape arose out of my concern um, for warriors, but especially for my wife. Yeah, uh, probably nine years ago now, my son was in Iraq uh, at the height of the surge. And I don't think you've really known worry 24-7 until you've had a child in a combat zone. And there are other things going on. And this passage from Philippians 4 is just one that was such a great blessing to us. What to think about instead of worrying, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Um, what do we think about? We can't pray all the time. I wish we could. Mm-hmm. But we need to have something upon which we can focus right. to help us uh, for the day-to-day struggle. And so that's the reason that I wrote Mindscape. You know, like when I picked up the book, my natural thought was, this is going to be a great book for my husband because <laughs> he has a tendency to worry more. And I you know, don't think of myself that way. Yeah. But as I was reading the book, I thought, this isn't about not worrying. Mm. <laughs> this isn't just written for people who have, you know, struggles with anxiety or worry. This is about what to meditate on mm-hmm. throughout the day. You know, what am I thinking about throughout the day? And it it was very uplifting in that way. And I've um, recommended it to a lot of people. Well, thank you. I appreciate that plug. That's recommend good. That's very good. To my listeners. Right here, right now. <laughs> it sounds like a Ray Bradbury novel, actually, Mindscape. It does, it does. <laughs> it's got a really good cover design, too. Uh, let me, uh, that's another story. That was a cover. Uh, you know, fighting, Carl, have you ever had to fight with people about cover designs? I'm a pretty, I'm pretty <laughs> passive guy. On, Amy uh, you know, the I, aggressive I, guy I, on cover designs. I, Amy, that, very this, aggressive. That cover design... Um, you know, if you don't buy the book, folks, just look at the cover. <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. But, I've loved uh, it. Tell us a little story. Yeah. Well, the first one was some modern modern design that made no sense to me. Oh, I feel uh-huh. like we have a connection now. You know, it's, it's like it's like they this oh this is the hip thing right now. It's uh-huh. this is what this going back to the sixties retro stuff. I said that's not what this book is about. Uh-huh. And it's like oh believe it or not, it's like they never read the book. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so they look mindscape. Oh, what could that be? Something whizzy, yeah. you know, yeah. something Van Goghish or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the but the cover now just really depicts a a, a living tree. The other side is a dead tree, dark skies, bright skies. Landscape. Landscape. Um, Mindscape such a good title. Yeah. So it actually shows a contrast between a godly mindscape and uh, one that's overwhelmed with worry. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have had issues with cover design, and it <laughs> drives me crazy that the, like I want to be in Here the art go. department. You know, I, I want to be there Ian during Thompson, the process. We hope you're listening. To this <laughs> yes, and uh, read the book before you design the cover. <laughs> I must admit, Amy's books are ones that you can judge by the cover. Actually, <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> they didn't go with my nunchuck idea. For they didn't do your nunchuck. The nunchuck didn't get on there. No, no they no, said Christian no, books too, don't too sell well with oh, weapons on too them. Bad. So what are you, what are you seeing? Um, w- obviously, without giving any way private information, but you know, as as you teach and help train pastors, are you finding that guys coming to you have a at least a fairly realistic outlook of the burdens they need to be ready to carry as mm-hmm. as pastors? And if not, how do you how do you teach that? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that. Most do not, mm-hmm. because you really don't understand it until you're in it. Right. Uh, one of the things that we do is we try to bring in pastors to sit on panels here to talk about what it's like in ministry. Yeah. And of course, many of our faculty members 
including one of your co-hosts. Uh, actually, two of the co-hosts uh, are pastors, mm-hmm. uh, and Carl uh, and other faculty members here bring the influence of their pastoral ministry into class. But I try to hit really hard on what yeah. it's like. So yesterday in class, I had a I had a man come in who was a successful church planter, and he graduated from here and moved to another church and then was unfaithful to his wife. Mm. It was a two-hour, hard-hitting lecture. Yeah. And I tell, I tell the students that before he comes, I say, this is going to be a lecture you'll never forget. Yeah. Mm. And they're just, they're just, and he talks about how God, how he got into that mess mm-hmm. and then how by God's grace he got out of that mess. And, uh, you know, I think one of the challenges is the, the conflict between the the face of the person and the heart of the person. Yeah. So that that conflict, that the important focus on integrity of the whole person is so crucial for them to get. Right. And a, a, a guest speaker like that is something I'll never forget. Yeah. So we try to give that holistic picture of ministerial formation to the students. Let me ask you, because um, we're talking a lot about the pastoral ministry for good reason, but is practical theology, is your course... Um, you know, is it just for pastors? Is is it part of the the track for preaching, or are there other majors involved in, mm-hmm. that take your class? Well, uh, all the MDiv students have to take orientation to ministerial formation course and the first preaching course. And uh, most of the courses that I teach are designed for the MDiv pastoral students. Uh, there are others who sit in from time to time, but that's where that's where my heart is. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I know you said you had a woman in your class, so yes, you, what, yes. what was she majoring in? She could she could elect that, elect to take that. Uh, she actually, we have MDiv students in female MDiv students in the program, so she may have uh, been in that category, or she may have been a student who elected to take it. So, I mean, there's still a lot of value. Yes. to take to take the classes, even if you're not going into the past. Of course, I think there's value. There's value for anybody and everybody who would take it. Here's a question, Tim. One of my theories about the, the decline in the church in the West is that we ordained a lot of people that shouldn't have been ordained. Mm-hmm. We put a lot of men into pulpits who can't preach. Mm-hmm. How do you think we, we – do you agree with that? And how do you think that situation is best handled? I – think in our presbyteries, we often have questions about that as people come up for ordination exams, but I believe that the very structure that we have to examine and evaluate candidates in our presbyteries is valuable, truly valuable, and it's very rigorous. It's something that they they dread, mm-hmm. but yet I think about, for example, the the screening in, in other denominations, which is so minimal. Oh, um, You're thinking of the OPC here. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what came to mind. <laughs> but I remember that I was I was on a an ordination committee back in the early years of ministry, a man who was, wanted to be ordained in his church, and it was an independent church, and what went into the ordination process is where they got a council of people together and asked them questions for an hour. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's pretty tempting for some of our guys when they understand what they have to go through with yeah. all their written exams right. and oral exams and yeah. um, and all that. But I think that I think there's a, a very good process in place in most of our reform denominations to help screen. Uh, and I think another important 
tool now is the assessment center that we have in the PCA that helps to identify church planters, which gets more into some of the personal issues that we might not get into in other venues. Right. Do you have to do Myers-Briggs tests now? (laughs) You know, I don't don't know what they do. Shouldn't I I ask that question? I think they have to do some kind of (laughs) psychological test like that. You know, we we mentioned ordination, and I'm I'm very thankful that I went through the ordination, uh, technically transfer of ordination into the PCA, but... Uh, it was all of the exams, the, the written and oral mm-hmm. exams. It was grueling. It was unpleasant, but I'm very grateful for it. When, when I was ordained originally, when I was a youth pastor, it was scandalously easy, <laughs> scandalously easy. And I was a part of a very uh, large church in the largest denomination in the world. Mm. And so we have churches across the country who have similar types of approaches, mm-hmm. um, where a man is not really, not really examined, either in his character or in his doctrine, mm-hmm. except at the most surface level, mm-hmm. and that's a danger for the church. I remember going through that grueling process three and a half years ago, and because at that point I was, you know, old enough to appreciate the fact that this is really good for the church, mm. <laughs> that I was being raked over the coals. Absolutely, um, yeah. I have an assistant now who's going through the process, and he's not exactly rejoicing in it by any means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's only at the Book of Church Order exam. Right, right. Mm. Yeah. You guys have a Book of Church Order that's ever-expanding, of course, because it's ring-bound. <laughs> he's been in a denomination with a hard-bound Book of Church yeah. Order they can't expand. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Oh, is that the difference? Well, and part, of it is, part of it is we actually believe that our Book of Church Order was not inspired of the Holy Spirit. Um, so, well, yeah, no. that's because you're in the PCA. You, know, you should be in a denomination where the Book of Church Order was inspired. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why your BCO is so small, huh? I wondered about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very impressive. Well, Tim, it's been a real pleasure having you on the program. Thanks Thank you so much. Great to Fascinating and very encouraging story about the church that you're now yes. pastoring. It's been great fun uh, being your colleague uh, over the last 15 years, and we want to wish you all the best. Mm. In Thank you so much. Well, it's not exactly retirement, but the next part of your faith journey. Yes. We hope you, exactly. you, you walk it with encouragement, brother. Well, Thank and you. also, and to tell people, if you're ever in the uh, in Lancaster County on a Sunday, absolutely, you know, s- stop in at uh, St. Stephen uh, Reformed yeah. Church. Yeah. And say 8.15 hi. and 10.30. There you go. Okay. There you go. <laughs> two services. Well, as this podcast is going out around about New Year's Day, here are two New Year's resolutions for you. One, read more Tim Whitmer. And to help you do that, you can visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, where we have some free copies of Tim's book, The Shepherd Leader. And also, maybe make a New Year's resolution to support your local donor-supported podcast. If you feel <laughs> led to make a donation, please do so via our website. Otherwise, we look forward to being with you next week. Goodbye. I'm singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feel, and I'm happy again. I'm laughing at clouds so dark up above. The sun's in my heart, and I'm ready for love. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about how wise is it or how helpful is it 
for husbands to confess their lustful thoughts to their wives. I think it is problematic to offer a one-size-fits-all solution on an issue that is extremely complicated. It strikes me as odd how over-sexualized these conversations become. We're advocating discretion and love and care for one another. Common sense is greatly underappreciated in society <laughs> in general and in the church. Yes. Quote so, of the day. Common sense. Right. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. You guys want to name my women's mints? <laughs> I'm, I'm fine without. I like my breath to get increasingly bad as the day goes on. I just wanted to call them women's mints for you guys. I won't lose my facial hair or anything worse, will I? <laughs> oh my gosh.